Please turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. John 6, 1 through 15. A story a lot of people learned in Sunday school. It is the story of the feeding, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And this is the Word of God. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Feast of the Jews was at hand. And lifting up his eyes, then seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii, eight months' wages worth of bread would not be enough for each one of these to only get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 men in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that none, nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. It was late in the afternoon. The the shadows were getting long and the people were a long way from home. Jesus had led them out to a very remote place up by the Sea of Galilee Jesus led them up into what is now known as the Golan Heights around the Sea of Galilee. One side has about 2,000 feet of mountains and the other has about 4,000 feet of, of mountains. And, um, and they had followed him, as we read in our text, uh, around the lake. And then they followed him up this mountain and, and he taught them and he pretty much taught them for the rest of the day. And uh, they had not eaten anything since breakfast. And uh, they'd spent eight, they'd, they'd walked eight miles or so, we estimate, to get to where Jesus was. People were in better shape back then uh, than they are now. They walked about eight miles to get where Jesus was going. And, you know, the children were getting tired and everybody was getting hungry and they needed something to eat. Have you ever been to an all-day event or a concert or a sporting event and, and kind of not had food at the event. Have you ever noticed with the sun beating down, you just get really tired and hungry. 
And you're just famished uh, by the time you finish something like that. And you didn't have to walk eight miles to, uh, to get to the, the outdoor event that you enjoyed for that day. The passage says that there were 5,000 men that sat down on the grass. Now, what that means is, is that the feeding of the 5,000 is based on the one number given in the scripture, which is 5,000 men. What it means in reality is that it was 5,000 men plus women plus children. Because when you look at Jesus' itinerant ministry, and particularly when he would go out to these remote places, you would see throngs of people, of men and women and children. And we find that in other places. So who knows, is this 10,000 people? Is it 15,000 people? But as we put the four gospel accounts together, and this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. So there's something very important about Jesus feeding 5,000 plus women plus children. We learn in, in, in the gospel accounts that Jesus challenges his disciples with these, these hungry, tired people. He says, you feed them. They're just blown back by Jesus saying, you feed them. And, and rightly so. I mean, you, can, you can think of 12,000 people at a concert and, somebody, and Jesus telling you to feed them all of a sudden. Um, John's gospel gives more details than some of the others. We find out that not only does he say to the disciples and they're talking among themselves trying to figure out what to do, but he, he especially talks to Philip here in John chapter 6. Philip is from about five miles away. Philip's from Bethsaida, and he would know where to, where to go to get food uh, from this remote place. Verse 6 says, he said this to Philip to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So it's not as if Jesus... Um, is just going to let these people go unfed. He knows that Philip and the rest of the disciples are not going to have the ability to feed 10,000 people. He says this, as he often does in our lives, to test us, to see where our trust is going to be, to see what kind of action out of trust uh, happens in our lives. Well, we've got three responses immediately right here in John's Gospel. Philip basically takes out his mental calculator. And he starts tabulating up this, and he says to Jesus, 200 denarii, eight months' wages, would not feed, I mean, would, would only give this whole crowd a bite. Would he, wouldn't even be enough to, to make a difference. If we gave somebody two-thirds of a year of their salary, um, they're fishermen, you know, they don't have 200 denarii to go, to go buy the, the food. So, uh, so Philip, he takes out his calculator and he's pretty much done. <laughs> Andrew's a little different. Andrew kind of kicks into action. Andrew goes around, he's more optimistic than Philip. Andrew goes around looking to see what kind of food might already be in the crowd that, that might be shared among the 10,000 people. And what Andrew comes up with, with the help of the other apostles, is is one small little lunch. Um, the, the, the person that has something to eat is somebody in the crowd who has a really nurturing mama is why he has something to eat. And, and before he went off to, to hear Jesus, his mama packed him 
a little lunch, uh, we, we read that this little boy willingly gives his lunch uh, for the cause. It is five tiny barley pitas and two sardines. That's what it is. It's kind of like, and barley was a third of the price of wheat at that time. It's kind of like uh, a poor man's Lunchable, homemade Lunchable. You know those Lunchables that you kind of have like four crackers in a little round thing and four little round pieces of meat to go on the four crackers and then something really unhealthy to go with it. Well, this was healthy. It was uh, four little pitas and, um, and two sardines. But uh, he gives this little bit that he has to the apostles and they bring it to Jesus. One scholar... Philip McFadden says, contrast Philip and Andrew's response with the faith of this young boy. He is the only character in the story who trusts Jesus implicitly and willingly gives what he has. It kind of has resonant with, with, with some of the scriptures that Jesus talked about, you know, the faith of little children and how sometimes we get a window into these, these little ones and just their ability to say, God can do it, you know. I, I can try. I trust God. Sure, I, I, I'm in. Reminds us sometimes that the faith of these little children often points up our own lack of it. Those of you who have raised children or are raising children have moments around your dinner table where you go, "Oh, okay, I get it." You're supposed to like trust God with abandon and without question, like. She does. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> John Phillips says, Thus the stage was set for a miracle. There were hungry people, thousands of them, men, women, and children. There were worried disciples, disciples helpless in the face of an enormous need. And there stood that anonymous little boy willing to give up his lunch for Jesus. And there stood the incarnate Son of the living God about to demonstrate what can happen when somebody surrenders to him. I love the command of Jesus in Luke's gospel. Uh, you give them something to eat. He's still doing that, as I said, uh, in our lives. And, uh, and I tell you, um, we try to find answers to our challenges and our issues to everybody and everything else but God sometimes. We take out, whip out that little calculator and figure out exactly, tangibly, what it's going to take to, to meet that need. Or, or we, we go around hunting and, you know, for, for the love of God, don't go to Barnes & Noble to the self-help section looking for help. You know, who are we going to look to? What are we going to look to? And God loves to bring us back in our lives through lots of things that happen, doesn't he? To relying on him. And that's the point of this parable. It's not just Jesus' mighty power. It's not just that He really is the Messiah, the, the one sent from God. And He really is compassionate, but God loves to bring us back to reliance upon Him. And He loves to come through for us in those times. And some of the best stories of our lives happened when God brought us back to Him. And we said we can't do it. I can't do it. It's all I've got. You've got to do it. I believe that this is one of those times. Pure and simple. 
Well, he has called them all through his disciples to sit down on the grass. He's, he's got his five little pitas and his two sardines now in his hands. He takes this small little lunch. He raises it to heaven. He blesses the food. And after he blesses the food, he begins the, the, the Gospels talk, use the word rendered in English, distribute. There's a sense in which, okay, there's two fish, they're gone. There's four loaves, they're gone. There's four more loaves, they're gone. There's four more fish, there's ten more fish, there's a hundred more fish, there's twenty more loaves, and it just keeps coming. Jesus' hands don't stop moving for a long, long, long time because there's ten thousand plus people to feed. And his disciples and others are there and they are capturing this food just being produced out of nothing from the, the Messiah, from the power, the raw power of Jesus Christ. And there's just food, a wave of it going out uh, onto this mountainside where 10,000 plus people are seat, seated. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, men, the men, 5,000 of them in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. He also did the fish as much as they wanted. And then we read that they ate their fill. Remember the, the five loaves and the two fishes, little lunchable? You'd still be like a grown man and still be hungry if he ate that. They ate until they could not put another morsel in their mouth. They were starving, and they were full and then we see Jesus saying, go pick up all the leftovers. They couldn't eat it all. Twelve big hamper-type baskets of leftovers. Of course, twelve is a, a great biblical number. Of maybe what's being said is, is this is the Messiah of Israel, and he has the power to feed all the tribes of Israel, all twelve. Or maybe it's what's being said is this is kind of a, a number of completion, a number of the kingdom, and, and this is symbolic of the fact that Jesus meets all needs, period. And, and there's 12 baskets left over. Who can say that this man did not perform a miracle, that he is not the Messiah? It is the only miracle recorded in all four gospel accounts, and it is important because it shows that Jesus is the one sent from God. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done... They said, this is indeed, and these are, this is code, they're about to speak in some Hebrew code here, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were going to come and take him by force to be their king, yes, they believed he was the Messiah. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I mean, how amazing is this? 10,000 people satisfied, 12 baskets left over. You know, I, I, uh, I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, trust me, I'll handle it. Jesus produces a banquet with tables and servers dressed in white. Jesus doesn't say let go and let God, does he? He says you feed them. Why is this important? 
Because Jesus has called us into an actual life in an actual tangible world where we actually get to trust him with what we actually have. You see, it's not just um shakalaka, let God, you know, let go and let God. It is basically saying, I can't do this. I, this is all I have, but I believe you can. And I want to give it to you. No, he says, you feed them and they will trust Jesus in the face of this need that will require action on their part as well as trust. Wouldn't it be great if Christianity didn't require any action mixed with faith? Wouldn't it be great if it was just a matter of trusting God and poof, poof, poof? Man, I kind of wish it was like that. But I kind of don't. Because they learned something with that calculator failing them. And they learned something giving up on what they had and just bringing what they had to Jesus, just like we learn something bringing our actual lives that just won't make it to Jesus at times. You know, I don't focus so much on how tiny the lunch was here, and it was tiny. What I like to focus on is the fact that this young boy gave all he had to Jesus, and the apostles brought and gave all they had to Jesus. You know, we read in verse 14 that when they saw it, they said, Indeed, he is, the, he is the prophet that has come into the world. He is, he is the Messiah. You know, the way it is with the kingdom is this, is that we get to trust God while we give. I mean, why, do we, why is tithing in the Bible? Why don't we just say, God, poof! Do a poof. You know, why is evangelism in the Bible? Well, God, I'm just trusting you to poof. And there's a lot of people who kind of feel like that's the way it ought to be and they pretend like that's the way it is. But it kind of has to do with where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It kind of has to do with whether we care about like people's souls and actually want to go out of our comfort zone to, to love them and show and tell the gospel or actually dig into, oh my, my wallet? And actually give something to God's kingdom. It gets kind of invasive. It gets kind of invasive when it gets real, doesn't it? It gets real because Christianity is real. Because God broke into this real world and He is really through Jesus in our hearts and He will lead us in this real world to live by faith. And greater works will be done than these, Jesus said. But you will do them. You, you, you get that? It's still incarnational. It's still in the real world. Ministry still happens hand-to-hand with actual stuff like people and resources and real food to give real hungry poor people and real shelter for people who don't have shelter and real medical care for people who don't have it instead of just saying, God, take care of the poor people and the sick people. You see the mixture of faith and action mixed with faith. Some people are able to give two mites. We read about that in Luke 21. That's the widow. Some people are able to give, have more to give. The point here is not how much you have to give. You get that? And if you think the point in building a building is how much somebody has to give, you're just wrong. You're just dead wrong. Now, the point is we get to give what we have. We get to give what we have. 
and it's an opportunity. And uh, when we give, this text teaches, Jesus multiplies. I like that, don't you? I like that. Uh, it means that what I have and what I'm able to give in, in whatever regard, whether that's evangelism, whether that's health, I mean, you make this more general if you like, um, is meaningful in the hands of Jesus. And greater simply than what I have. This past week, and you know, let's talk about what, what success will be here as far as building a building. What does success look like? It's not a number. I mean, we'll tell you the number because we've got to have a number to do it. You know, contractors actually require a number. So that's part of the real world too, right? But it's not a number. It's that each of us give. That's what it is. And that's our challenge today. What, what, what do I have to bring to Jesus that he might multiply it? And we'll talk about what that might mean in a moment. This past week, and I have permission to share this, I heard a story, and it happened a week ago in our church. And the reason I want to share it is because it impacted me personally. We have a, a more elderly couple. See, I said more elderly and not elderly. We, we have a more elderly couple in our church, uh, Kay and Les Johnson. Many of you know Kay and Les. We love Kay and Les. Uh, they have been retired for quite some time. They are well taken care of, but they don't just have income streaming in in retirement, right? So they're asking the question, what, what can we give? And they start doing um, something beautiful. They actually, as husband and wife, start talking about this. So they're talking about it over the dinner table, and, and, uh, and Les says, there's something that uh, I, I, I realize what I can give. There's something that I can give up, and I'll give this particular thing up, and what I've spent on that, I'm going to give to build this building. I'm going to give for, for the expansion of the gospel through the church. Well, she is very inspired by this. And she begins to think, what can I give? She looks around her house, and what, do, what do, does her eyes light on? But two chairs, antique chairs that her mother gave her that came from her grandmother. And she thought right then and there, I'm going to sell these chairs. I'm going to give this to the church. So she said, hey, I, I got something I, I can give too. They were so excited. This is joy. This is what happens. This is joy. And, um, and so they called in an antique dealer. And uh, I was talking to her this week. And she said, well, the strangest thing happened, Joseph. I was so excited uh, when the antique dealer got there to haul the chairs off. I started seeing all this other stuff that could go. <laughs> so they just hauled off a whole, a whole vehicle full of stuff. And the more they hauled off, the happier she became. <laughs> and... Um, and this is the joy of giving. You see, she just said, okay, you know, I don't have this large stream. What, what do I have? What can I bring to Jesus? And there it is. Do you think that is a, a small thing? I don't think that's a small thing at all. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, people can give 
give up something, assets, babysit, you know, whatever you want to do. I mean, you know, ask God what a meaningful and sacrificial gift would be. Because the point is not the amount, but something meaningful and sacrificial to, to expand the kingdom. And, and Les and Kay found that, that joy. The little boy in our text gave Jesus what he had, and it was beautiful, wasn't it? One of the scholars says, and I love this, with Jesus it's always a one to five thousand proposition. Meaning that when we give to Jesus, he multiplies. And when he multiplies, we rejoice because the kingdom of God has come on earth with real people and real souls in real time. What will you bring to Jesus? That spurred some thinking on my part. And Gina and I have talked about what we would like to give. And I'm not telling you what we would like to give because it's none of your business. <laughs> but it must be sacrificial and it must be meaningful. And, uh, and our girls, too. Um, I think they have dreams of getting married in a new sanctuary one day and want a, want a part of that. I'm not sure exactly how all that works, but uh, I think there's something, probably a connection there if truth were, be, were to be told. But um, I started thinking, after, after I talked with Kay this week, I started thinking, you know, there's got to be a way to, to give more. And uh, I ordered a slide projector circa 1970-something slide projector because I've got all these slides of my family, and I hadn't watched them um, since, I don't know, since college, since 1980, maybe. Well, because I, I don't have a projector. And I don't really know anybody that has one of those. I, I got one in the mail via eBay for $25. And we hooked that thing up and we started putting in slides. And, and we would just stare. At, and the girls uh, this weekend would just stare at what I looked like when I was 10 or 12 or whatever. And what their grandmama and their granddad, especially their granddad, who, who they have never met. Because he, he died in 1976. And I, would, I would particularly stare at him. Um, and it came to me this weekend as I was praying. I actually have something to give that I, have, I don't think about. I actually have a collection of antique lever-action Winchester rifles that my father left me. And I'll tell you why I don't think about them, because they're not in my possession. Way back when I was a pastor in Alabama, there was an art, you know, ardent gun collector. And he said, I'll keep all your guns in my gun safe because he had, you know, he was like the real deal. They've been in a gun safe for 21 years. I haven't seen them since they went in. And I thought to myself, you know what? If Kay Johnson can do it, we can sell those guns. And I'm thinking about the images of my father and I want you to know that it makes me terribly happy to think that something he gave me could expand the kingdom among us today. You know, we have the joy not only to give, whether it's income, blah, 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 babysitting, be creative, go pray, go figure it out. We have the joy of not just giving meaningfully and sacrificially to the Lord. We have the, we have the joy of giving together and seeing something happen beyond us together. You realize with this project, what we need to say is, God, we can't do it. 
And that would be true. So could we just say it? I mean, not out loud. <laughs> Maybe Sometimes I like to do that. Maybe it would be good for you to say it out loud. But we, we need to say, we, we can't do this. But we're going to bring what we have. And we're going to put it in your hands, and we're going to bring it individually, and therefore we're going to bring it together, and we're going to see together something raised up out of the ground that will be a tool for ministry going forward for the expansion of God's kingdom, and we will see what we give to not only open up ministry of the gospel and teaching to believers and the discipling and the drawing into ministry of so many people going forward, but we will see what is raised up, used every weekday of every week. We will see it every week, you see. This is significant. And our children will be able to use it once we're gone. And maybe they'll go further and higher by God's calling and God's spirit than we ever dreamed to go. I think I'd rather them look back and say, isn't it great that our parents and all those folks trusted God and, 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 and gave us ability and possibility for ministry? Or, man, I wish they trusted God. Now we got to do it all. <laughs> so we will have the joy of giving, but we'll have the joy of giving together. And in this case, Bread is what Jesus will give yet again. But it won't be the bread that's made out of wheat or, in their, their case, barley. You know, this miracle had another purpose. You know, it did show that it was the Messiah. It did show that he was another Moses. That's the prophet who was supposed to come into the world. That was the trig one of the trigger points of Messiah. Oh, this is the Moses. Oh, this is manna. That's what that is. This is bread from God. You see the link between the Old Testament and this passage, between Moses and one we read in Hebrews 3 that is greater than Moses who has come. It's a different kind of bread. And the other thing this sets up are these words in the same chapter of John. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. I am the bread of life. And so what we give multiplies, just multiplies, as the bread of life given to hundreds and hundreds of people. Please don't discount us ordinary people trusting God. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about a building now. I'm talking about a ministry going forward and holding out the gospel and showing and telling the gospel and, and praying for God to work in, in our lives and in other people's lives. Don't miss this. This ain't coming around again. I don't, we're not building another sanctuary unless God just really, really, really overflows, you know. This ain't going to come around again. This is a great opportunity. An elder, I was telling a gathering the other night, an elder at a sister church, they just did a sanctuary, was, was telling a friend of mine, he told me, he was sitting there, and once they got into their sanctuary, he said, I just had no clue what a big deal this was. I wish I had been a part of it more. No, let's don't do that. Let's don't do that. When we give, Jesus multiplies. I got one final story, and I want you to know that next week I have several stories that Laurie Norton and others have given me about our children.
But I want to share one this week, and I'll preach on the parable of the talents, which is what they've been acting out on uh, here the last few weeks. But I'll give you one story. It's the story of Jane Bradley Madden and her brother Beckham. I baptized both of them five and two years ago. And now we see them serving in the kingdom. How cool is that? Remember, some of you were here. You promised to pray for them. You promised that you would help assist these children in the Christian nurture, and it's happening. They gave their own money to the building, just kind of the piggy bank style money. They got a dollar each from the church, uh, their talent, if you will, and had the the exhortation to go out and, and, and see how God could multiply the talents. Um, and so, they begin to, to go to people and ask for all their loose change. You know, we're kind of a cashless society and change is almost a nuisance to some people. They, they put it in a jar, you know, they, they take bills and maybe they've got change at the end of the day, but you don't normally just put like a big pocket full of change unless you're out of dollars which we I've, I've had pockets full of change before too bless their hearts at a you know a junior store and there's one two three these are cents you know um so they begin to ask people for their chain exuberantly in that way that little children ask and you like can't not give them what they ask for it's like oh no they're coming you know anybody's selling anything at my door it's like don't open the door you'll have to buy it <laughs> and we do. <laughs> so they asked a lot of people. And they started with the $2. Lacey put it on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. But um, she put it on face, her Facebook page to help with publicity. So now we have a downright enterprise by a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And uh, they had such a great response that, that so many people brought their change and I want to quote, I asked Lacey, I said, would you just please send me an email to explain this to me? And I want to quote from Lacey. We started with the jumbo pickle jar, like the big one, and uh, that Brad cleaned out, which sm- still smells very strongly of pickles, as now do, do the coins. <laughs> and recently, the jumbo pickle jar has been overflowing into a second jumbo pickle jar, Jane Bradley and Beckham have really been excited to pour in a little money at a time. And now Brad, the the husband, Brad is the only one strong enough to lift the jar. (laughs) We'll be counting it tonight. Now, that'll all be a part of what we're doing today. That inspires me. Because there's just something about a child that doesn't go, well, I'm not sure about this. It's like, yeah, if it's for Jesus, let's do it. it. You know, I've been raised in this church. I see Jesus proclaimed. I see Jesus shared. You know, I've been doing flannel graphs since I was zero. Um, right? Here. Of course we want the, more people to come to our church. Of course we want the preaching of the gospel to go forward, you see. Philip, I've done the math. It ain't going to work. <laughs> Andrew. Let's see what we can find. Nope, that's beyond our ability. Little boy, here Jesus, take what I have. This is beyond us. That's what makes it so fun. Do you get it? That's what makes it a God thing. 
That's what makes it a Jesus thing. So, let's trust him. And joyfully give him what we have. Fill out a pledge card. March 3rd, we will bring them. You can turn in before if you want to, it doesn't matter. March 3rd, we will bring them. We will be meeting an all one group of people over here on the site where the building will be constructed. And we will just claim that property for the gospel. And we will celebrate what God's people did. And we will see the kingdom go forward. And over the next many, many years, we will see and our children will see hundreds of people eat and live of the bread of life, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, would you do this in our hearts so that we can trust you? This is beyond us. We can't do it, God. And that's why we bring it to you and we ask for you to work through us in such a way that meaningful sacrifice, which is the definition of love, and we do, will be used greatly. Would you multiply the bread of life to people in this greater Jackson area through Highlands? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.